the book of Ruth, I met a man in Auckland once, and uh, this is what he told me. He said, I do not believe, or in fact, his very own words was, I can't see why the book of Ruth is in the Bible. I can't see it. And then he went on, and he explained to me why. He said, well, I can't see God the Father in there. I can't see Jesus Christ in there. I can't see the Holy Spirit in there. I can't see salvation in there. And he went on to explain this, and I had a discussion with this man. And you know, in fact, after a while and praying about it, I understand that he was right. He was right when he used the word, I can't see. Because he couldn't see what we see. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man cannot understand the things that a spiritual man can understand. And as we've heard this morning as Pastor Andrew preached that we need the Holy Spirit to open things up for us. In my time, dear friends, without the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have any understanding about the Word of God. So this man was right. He was truly right. He couldn't see it. What he needs is the Holy Spirit to open it up for him. But we tonight have an opportunity to see. We are here tonight, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will open up new things to you. New things that's in the Word of God. You know, everything that's new is in the Word of God. It's it's already there. The only thing that happens is we discover them. And I'll tell you this quickly, um, in one of my studies, one day I was sitting there early in the morning and I studied through the Bible and I came to a particular scripture verse. And I, I, I discovered something new. And when I discovered it, man, I was so grateful about it. I said, wow, nobody saw this. I'm the only one. And I was so excited about it. Nobody saw this. I'm so special. God, thank you. You showed it to me alone. And I rushed out of there, and I've got a prayer partner, and I rang him up and said, man, I've got to tell you something. I discovered something today, and God showed it only to me, and I shared it with him. He says, oh, no, I know that. (laughs) So this is the thing about new things. God opened it up for us from time to time. And hopefully tonight, as I'm going to go through this passage, which many of you have read it so many times, the Holy Spirit gives you something. I want you to ask the question, what is God telling me tonight? What's he telling me? There's a message for you tonight. It's not only history. God wants to talk to you tonight. He's got a message for you. So let's get into this. Tonight we're going to see in chapters 3 and 4 the reward for a pledge, a pledge that Ruth made back in chapter 1. And that's in chapter 3 and 4. There's a reward there. And let's look at it. He says in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And whatever, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, well that's a big one, I will die. That's total commitment. And there will be, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And I've underlined it for you how many times he uses the word you in there. That's a total commitment from one person to another person. Would you agree with that? And you know, we've used it, and Pastor Andrew said it last week again, we use this as a picture of a marriage. 
It's beautiful vows, these, if you can tell it to your wife or to your spouse. It's fantastic. But these two people, you see, she came from pagan. She came from a Moabite background. And this, there was Naomi and she was a Jew. She, she could turn her back like Orpah did and walk away. But she committed it totally to her. And you see the impact of Naomi on her daughter-in-law is that she came out and she says, all these things, I will stay with you and I will not leave you. That's the impact that one life had upon another person. I want to ask you just front up here, what impact have you got upon people around you? It's easy in church when I come to you and I ask people about that guy, Brennan. What do you think about Brennan? Everybody in church is going to say, oh, he's a great guy. But what if I go to your workplace? What if I ask your children, how's dad doing? You see, in church, everybody, hallelujah and amen. But once those doors close, everybody knows what's going on. And here we find a daughter-in-law who knows what's going on behind closed doors. And so much is this impact that this lady is, who's drawn from the house of bread into this foreign country that still she makes such a big impact on this girl that she do not want to forsake her and go away. Ruth's commitment went even further. She says, your God will be my God. This is only introduction. We're going to get the good stuff in chapter 3 and 4 right now, okay? But I want to come back to this point because it's fantastic, friends. You see, she leaves her family. She leaves her country. And then she leaves her pagan gods. And if you go right through the Bible and you look at all these girls who came from pagan backgrounds, they always go back to their pagan gods. But not Ruth. She says, I'll leave them. That's a commitment even further. Now, the thing here is, friends, that Naomi's compromised, her, wrong button, her compromised relationship made an impact on Ruth. She didn't have an easy life where she went. You know, if you live a backslidden life, it's not good. It's tough. She lost people to death. In the midst of all that circumstances, she still made an impact upon Ruth to follow her. It's nice when life is up and going for you that you influence people around you. You say, man, I'm on top of the world. And look at me. Follow me. But what happens once you get down into the doldrums? How do you react? That people come up to you and they say, I, I've looked at you. I've seen you in good times. And I've seen you in, in really difficult times. And you know what I find? That in the good times, I like you as a person. I... I can follow you, I can listen to you, but in the bad times, man, I just want to stay away from you. You see, it's in the bad times that the character is shown out to the people around you. And in those times, this commitment came out. It's a fantastic commitment to you, to me. Now, the other thing that I want to bring out of this is, it's 10 years since this thing takes place. And it took 10 years from Naomi to decide she's going to go back to God. For 10 years, there was Ruth looking at Naomi. She never had, she never came to Naomi and said, listen, Naomi, I want to do this. It was the moment that Naomi decides I'm going to go back to God that she makes this pledge. Have you noticed that? Friend, you can live all your life in that compromised lifestyle. And the impact on your friends will just be, they'll say, yeah, it's easy as it goes. But the moment you stand up and put your foot in the sand and I'm say, I'm going to return to God, that's when... That's when you will see it happens. Now, this is the pledge, and now let's get into the reward. 
Let's follow into Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. I've got it on the screen, but i like you to follow in your Bible if you want to make notes in your Bible. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not your kinsman? In fact, he's winnowing barley down uh, tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lays down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and cover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. So here we find the first word there is the word security. Naomi is looking for security for her daughter. And in fact, this word here is the same word that's that's used in chapter 1 verse 9. The word there for security is the word that means rest. She says, let me give you rest. Go and look for a kinsman that can give you rest. And we need that security in our lives. Friends, my security is Jesus Christ. Not only is he my security, he's my rest. And I believe he is my Sabbath. If you follow the Sabbath right through the Bible and people who try to put it down to a day and you've got to uh, put this day aside for a Sabbath and so on. Friends, my Sabbath, I don't have to put a day aside to rest on that day in the Sabbath. I am in the Sabbath. His name is Jesus Christ. And I've got rest every day of my life in the good times and in the bad times. And it's interesting in this passage, you know, that he says, I'm seeking rest. And then she goes straight away into Boaz and says that he is our kinsman because he knows, and we're going to go into that tonight, that the law that was there is going to give her rest if he takes up that part of the law. Now, where is that man who says Jesus Christ is not there? When we needed rest, he paid our debts. And the other thing that he says, he says that he is our kinsman. Now, it's interesting, this thing about kinsman. The Bible used the word goal or goel. And that is a kinsman redeemer. And he had a specific definition role in the Israel's family life. The kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 48. And I want you to compare this with Jesus Christ, our kinsman. He took us out of slavery into redemption. The picture of Egypt and the promised land, bondage and freedom. He was responsible, this kinsman, to be the avenger of blood, avenger of blood, to make sure the murder of a family member answered to the crime. You know, it's Jesus Christ's own blood that paid for our sins on the cross. He was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. Leviticus 25, 25, you say, well, how can that be part of Jesus Christ? What land is he buying back? Friend, every single day that you commit a sin, you're giving land in your life, in your spiritual life, away to the enemy. And you know what he does? He buys it back. He says your sins are forgiven as the east is from the west. He takes it back. He gives it back. 
He was responsible, this kinsman, to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. Deuteronomy 25 from verse 5 to 10. And we're going to see in this passage how he becomes our kinsman and he makes us part of his bride. It's a fantastic passage. Now, I want to talk to you as well about uncovering his feet. Well, first of all, the winning part that happened there was normally outside of the city, a little high hill, and it was always taking place at the afternoons. That's when the wind started coming in and blowing through. And what they would do is they would bring this, this, um, the, the wheat and everything, and they will throw it down on a threshing floor, and they will take forks and throw it up into the air. And the wind that blew through there will, will just take the chaff away, blow it away. And they will have the wheat, and they can, can continue on with that. Now, he was winnowing that, the barley, and the chaff was blowing out on the threshing floor, and it's going into the night. And custom was, as everybody was there doing their hard day's work, they will get together afterwards, and they will eat and drink and be merry, and, and there they will stay. And this is where now Naomi is looking to send Ruth to. But she says, wash yourself. Look at that. Get yourself pretty. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. Make yourself pretty. It's beautiful if, a, if your wife is pretty and, and he tells her, put the anointment on you. In fact, what he was doing here is he was putting on the garment of a bride. And she went down to the threshing floor. Now this passage here, uncover his feet. There's a few commentators who, who, who say, well, yeah, there you go. This is part of immorality that's happening in the Bible because this is pointing towards a sexual act that she's going to see. Actually, Naomi is actually throwing Ruth at this man. And what's going to happen there in darkness? You see, wait until he's merry. Wait until it's night. And then you go and creep into this man's bed. And, and I'll tell you what, the Hollywood script writers would love this because that's what's selling on TV right now. Isn't that right? You can say amen if you agree. <laughs> And this is what they say. They say, that's why. You know, this is, this is just one of those passages that doesn't belong here. It's not good for the children to hear it. But I want to suggest to you that they don't understand, my dear friends, what's going on in this passage. Because we see this out of a Western world, a Western understanding. We don't understand totally what's going on in this passage here. You see, she went there and she had to uncover his feet and lie under his feet. For a specific reason, and we're going to get to that part, that part as we continue when he saw her there. Now let's look at verse 5. He says, and she said to her, all that you say to me I will do. This is Ruth. And don't you just love her just listening uh, to everything a mother says? The children in this place must listen tonight. Obey your parents. Amen? Parents? Yes, that's right. Obey your parents. And here we see as some kind of obedience to, to an elder. We need that respect back. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. I like it when she said she did all that the mother-in-law instructed her. And, and I just want to throw it in here. You get all these opportunities just to, to teach on something. Listen, children, when parents ask you to do something, do all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Not just parts of it. <laughs> do all of it. it. It shows that. And yes, he did do that. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And she came softly and covered his feet 
and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Imagine yourself. You know, I like to do that often. Read the Bible and just put yourself in that position. Who loves the Word of God? Man, I love it. I'm, I just imagine myself. I went, I lay down, I turned around, and all of a sudden there's this woman down. Woo! What are you doing here? Sorry for that. It's my first time if I break the mic. That's it. <laughs> Out of you. <laughs> now he was startled and he turned himself and there was a woman lying there. And verse 9 says, and he said, who are you? Isn't this the second time he's asking that question? Remember when she was, she was amongst the other, he turned and he says, who's this girl? Now he still couldn't recognize her. Why? Because he was dark. And he didn't expect her in this form she was laying there. So she answered and she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your skirt, Kanap, for you are a near kinsman. Now let me explain this to you. And this is why I believe the Western society, us, couldn't understand this until we learn what is going on here. Because this is what they say. They say, look at it. There she comes. Naomi just throws her at, at, at Boaz. And she comes to Boaz, gets under his feet, and now she says, take me under your skirt. That surely, surely is immorality, brewing. But let's understand what this passage is all about. You see, the word that's used there in Hebrew is kanap. Take me under your kanap. In the New King James Version, it says under your wing. In the King James Version, it says skirt. I like skirt. <laughs> it's just me, okay? I like skirt. You might like wing. Now, this first of all, according to the tradition, was an emblem of protection. What she was doing, not as we think in Hollywood terms, what she was doing, she was asking him to marry her, to take her under his protection, to take her under his skirt. We have to understand this to understand the passage. And look at this now, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. He says, When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. You were old enough. So I spread my skirt, my canap, over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that looks like a marriage. Yes? Don't believe me? Follow the Scriptures. He says there, covered your nakedness. That is what marriage do. Listen, again, this is one of those golden opportunities to do a little bit of marriage counseling in a sermon. Do not expose your spouse's nakedness to other people. Now, I'm not talking physical stuff here only. Okay, are you with me now? You do not talk to other people about your wife's mistakes and faults. That is uncovering nakedness. That is not giving protection. You do not talk to other women about your husband's faults and mistakes. That is not covering their nakedness. You see, the Bible says in Genesis, we become one, one. And there, we complete one another. If there's problems, we talk to each other. If you need Christian counseling, go to your pastor and his wife. Yes? 
Golden opportunities. Now look at the next one. I swore an oath. Isn't that what we do at marriage? I swore an oath and then we continue and I entered into a covenant. Listen, friends, today marriage is under an attack from the enemy. But I want to tell you now it's more important than ever before. God has put a man and a woman together to have children. That's one of the purposes of marriage. And it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. That's how it belongs and and that's how it needs to be. And here it says it is in a covenant. You don't just live together, you get married. And a covenant to God. And you became mine. Now the second understanding, everybody's still with me. The second understanding about this passage is, it's an emblem of authority. The skirt. It's an emblem of authority. When she went and lied down at his feet, he said, protect me and I will come under your authority. That is what marriage does. Now, let's look at it. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, this word here for trained down there, his train, is the Hebrew word shul, which also means skirt. Now, I don't know if you've read that passage, and all of you read that passage, but at that point, what happened, Isaiah fell down because of the authority of God that filled the temple. And he said, woe unto me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. The only way that you come under the authority of God is if you confess. You confess that you are a man of uncleanness in your life, and you go under his skirt. Where is this man that says Ruth is not important? Now we find this in, you remember when Saul, when he was hiding in a cave and David came to him? We followed this right through. When Saul was, he was more enraged when David cut off the skirt, he's kidnapped from his robe. You remember that passage, 1 Samuel chapter 24, 4. What did David tell him? He says, you've lost your authority. Your authority. And then in the New Testament, you remember this lady who had blood flow, and she came and she touches Jesus. Jesus immediately turned around and says, who touched my rope? The word there is the same as he said, who touched the authority? And this is what she's asking. Now if you understand this as a background, you will understand what Naomi did, and that when Ruth went and asked him to cover me, it was not for an immoral act. It was asking him for marriage to take him under the, the protection and the authority. Now let's continue on to the next verse. Verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. You see, she could have done this any time. She wasn't a Jew. She could have turned around, go to this land. Remember what she left. She left her land. God visited Jerusalem it's, it, things are turning up there again. There's a lot of young men there. She could have married anyone there or had a loose life, but she didn't. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. I don't belong in our societies for virtuous women. Friends, I want you to pray with me because I look at the young women of our society and I say, Lord, I've got two sons out there and I pray for two virtuous women for my sons. And if you've got children, start praying for them now. I pray for this church's young boys to have virtuous 
virtuous wives. And for the church's daughters in this place to have virtuous husbands. He says, you are virtuous. You see, she, she's got a, not a reputation, she's got a good word about her in the town. Now it is true in verse 12 that I am close kinsman. However, there's a kinsman closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lay down until morning. Boaz had two kinds of responsibilities that he showed here. And let me just explain to you something about the word responsibility. It's made out of two words, responsibility. You know, we come to some person and we say, you're a responsible person. What are we saying? We say you've got the ability to respond to a situation. That's what we're saying, responsibility. Now, Boaz had a good responsibility. He had the ability to respond to her circumstances. And he says, you stay the night here. Because if he uh, uh, said to her, no, get, get out of here. At night, that time, what could have happened? So he did that. And he was an honorable man. He didn't send her home. And he also said, I'm going to protect you against this, or I'm going to be the kinsman if he doesn't do that. Verse 14 says, he lay at his feet until morning, and, and she arose before one could recognize her. Then she said, do not let it be known. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her, on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to the mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded this matter this day. Don't let it be known that the woman came tonight. He was still protecting her virtuousness. Do you know that we're living in a world of gossiping? And there's a few reasons. He says, let it not known that she was here. And also for the kinsmanship. But I want to talk to you about, for a few moments, about these words down here. Sit still. Because that's one of the biggest problems for children of God. To sit still and wait. Often we find ourselves in a circumstance, and maybe there's somebody here tonight who finds yourself in a circumstance, and you go, I don't know what to do. I want to act right now. You know, I want to do this thing. Somebody might have done you wrong, and you want to say, man, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to tell him. But you know, God says, wait. Sit still. Don't jump. God is a, is a patient God. And he wants us to be patient. There's times to react, but God will show you to react. Now, you remember in Exodus chapter 14 when Moses came out of Egypt and, and as soon as they, they came to the water, they could look back and they saw all these soldiers of the Egyptians coming on. You remember that passage? We did that in Sunday school and hopefully we read it afterwards as well. And they could see them coming and fear struck them in their hearts. What happened? A few of them, I imagine, said, let's jump and swim for it. Let's go. 50 meters because they're not good swimmers. What would have happened? Bloop, 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 bloop. You see, sometimes we're in those situations that we go, let's jump in and swim. What's going to happen 50 meters? Bloop, 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 bloop. Others says, man, let's make a run for it. Where are you? Hello? Have you looked around? You're in the wilderness. 
Maybe you're not going to go 50 meters, bloop, 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 down. You might run for 200 meters and you go, puff, puff. And some people do want to run it out. And then you get, you get the other guys who says, let's take them on. Yeah, you know those kind of people? Let's take them on. Front them up. Hey, you know, you, you get those people who say, take them on. And, and what's going to happen, man? You might go 100 meters to take them on, and the chariot wheels are going to go right over you. No, no, no. Be still. Listen to these words. He says it right there. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which will accomplish for you today. I want to say to somebody maybe here tonight, just sit still and wait on the Lord. Don't hurry. God's timing is always best timing. He was four days late. You remember that passage in the New Testament? But he was still on time with Lazarus. He says, he shall accomplish this and he shall give you peace. I love this passage. Whenever I do counseling with people who want to really act and, and, they, and you know, they say all these things about me, you know, and I use this passage. Isaiah 64 verse 4. He says, since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts on the one who waits for him. If you're a child of God, God will act on your behalf. I love it in the passage. He says, sit still. Now let's get into chapter 4. How am I doing for time, Pastor? Good. <laughs> I didn't check the watch when I started. Ruth chapter 4 verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem, redeem. But if you will not redeem, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. This is this man. We don't have his name. In fact, if you go deeper and you study a little bit further, and you go into the, the Hebrew form, the word there for friend sounds too friendly to me. I don't believe that needs to be friend. The word they translated is so-and-so. It's a nobody. He says, hey, you, so-and-so, come here. Now, this is a question that goes through my mind. You see, when I study the Bible, I ask questions. If this was the kinsman redeemer, why didn't he appear earlier on? Was he trying to sidestep his responsibility? Did he know about this? Of course he knew. He says, you know, this is... So he says, hey, so-and-so, come and sit down, and I want you to, to tell me, are you going to redeem this? And this man saw it. He says, well, I'll, I'll redeem the land. No problem. This is what the kinsmen do. Then Boaz said, now, just, just another thing that I want to mention here. Put yourself in this thing. There's Boaz, and he knows what happened the night before, and he's going to play this out. So obviously, I believe in his mind, he wants this to play out right. He wants to redeem them. He wants to be the kinsman. So at this point in time, when he heard those words, I don't think it was exactly the answer he was looking for. Do you think? I think he was looking for something like, no, Boaz, that's fine. You do the honorable thing. Ah, it's, it's all right with me. Ah, you, you go on with it. But it didn't happen that way. 
And again, if you look at people who's looking at writing beautiful scripts for movies, this is a classic one where you can just see this is in a movie. I know it's not in Bible. I've got no scriptural you know, proof for this. But you can see in the movie how these Ruth and Naomi is sitting behind a bush and listening to this whole conversation out that's going on in the gates. And then he says, yes, I'll redeem it. And I can see on the movie they go, oh, no. And I can see how this Mr. So-and-so is a, is a big guy with a red beard. And, and you know, he's not the type of uh, the really nice-looking guy. And everybody goes, not him, not him for her. No, we can't see that. Now, the other thing, interesting thing is they were sitting in the gate. Again, you need to understand in biblical times, that is where the council sat in the gate. That is where the elders came together. And that is where these kind of things were discussed and, and they made decisions there. It's also the gate where they could see people coming in and out. It might be a small room up there, but the gate was a very important place of a city. You, you read in Proverbs chapter 31 about the virtuous wife. He says her husband is sitting in the gates. He's an important person. Another thing that I read up about um, the 10, uh, you've got 10 witnesses. They say if you get 10 Jews together, you can actually start a synagogue. So these, these are 10 elders. Ten, this is an important meeting. Now let's see how it goes. Well, at, at the end of, of, of verse 4, it's not looking good for Ruth. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you must, must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and the exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, so he took off his sandal. Now, I want to suggest to you by this time, this custom that they had of taking the, the sandal off and giving it to somebody else wasn't the same when it started. Because it was a little bit more worse than that. You see, with a kinsman, he, he wasn't forced to go ahead and do the redemption. It was, it was an obligation that was placed on him. That is why it was his grace to do that, to get the family name on, to get that land that's purchased on. The old custom, how it started out, was something like this. The man who was the kinsman would take off his his shoe or his sandal, and give it to the lady who's asking him. If this was Ruth, he would have given it to Ruth himself. And in fact, what he was saying to us is he would have said, hey, you're as dirty shoe, as, uh, I'm, I'm, according to me, you're as this dirty shoe. That is what the custom was then. So if I take off my sandal and I give it to somebody, I go, you're as dirty as the shoe. In other words, I'm not going to do this. Interesting customs, isn't it? Do you know some of it is still going on in those eastern countries? Who remember one day when George W. Bush? <laughs> Do you understand now what that guy was trying to tell Bush? It's a custom that comes from biblical times. Now, he wasn't just handing it over to Mr. Bush. He was flying it over to him. He says, you're as dirty as the sandal of mine. 
Now, that was the custom they're talking about here. Now, that's not where it ended. She then, this lady could then turn around and spat in his face and say, you're a dirty dog. Can you imagine this? (laughs) Can you just see this playing out? Now, in fact, just a while ago in Israel, there was a court case going on about this. Because there was a lady who wanted to take a brother-in-law to court to bring in this custom. Because he didn't want to redeem it. It's still going on. The redemption is still going on. He didn't want a redeemer. And she wanted to take him to court so that she could just spat in his face. Friends, we've gone way past that, didn't we? <laughs> Imagine if we bring this into a small, intense fellowship. I won't say an argument between husband and wife. A small, intense fellowship between husband and wife. And you have to do this thing. So this is what happened. He, he took off his sandal and gave it to the, to the man. He says, you know what? This is a sign that it's not going to happen in this way. I'm not going to do the redemption. And just another point that I just want to throw in here. You know, Boaz here is a type of Christ. He purchased the land here to get his bride, which was Ruth. Have you seen that picture? Jesus Christ came and he bought the field, which is the world, to purchase his bride. You go to the parables in Matthew and he says he purchased the field to find the pearl of great value. Let's continue verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You have witnessed this day that I've bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Maulon's from the day from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through the inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brethren and his position in the gate. You are witnesses this day, and all the people who were at the gate, and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Lee, and the, uh, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephra, and the famous or in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez from Tamar, who bore, bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. It's wonderful blessings they actually bestow on her. The first one there, they say, let it be like Rachel and Leah, and Lee, who built the house of Israel. Through them, the whole house of Israel was built. And it's fantastic when you look through the... Uh, the, the, the bloodlines where these, these ladies come out. The other thing is this house of Perez. Now, what is that? Now, see uh, um, whom Tamar bore to Judah. It was Tamar's son from Judah. And this goes back to Genesis 38. Well, Judah had the son, and she married Tamar, but the son died before he could give a child. And then, according to the kinsman, the second brother had to marry her and give her an offspring. But he didn't want to do that. And you can go and read all about that. And he died. And she came to Judah and said, hey, listen, you've got a third son. And he said, no, no, you've got to wait for him to grow up until he's old enough. And time went past and it didn't happen. So she got word that Judah was going to be in that region. So she took off her widow's clothes and she put on the clothes of a prostitute. And she sat outside and Judah came past. And he started talking to her. He says, let me go in with you. And she said, what will you give me if if you go in? He says, well, I'll give you a goat. And she says, no, I want some proof. I want security. He said, well, there's a ring and there's... And he gave her things to... And he went in with her and she was pregnant. 
Well, the next day he sent his servants out of the goat to be good to his word, and they went and said there's no prostitute because he's put on the widow's clothes again. And later on when he heard that she was pregnant, he says, well, get it so that we can stone her. And when she appeared before him, she brought out and she said, I'm standing by the man who gave me this. It's his child, and it was his child. Now what they're saying here, it's, it's a similar situation that happened there. And we find now a fantastic reward for the pledge he's made. Let's look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be, <coughs> he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. That is, that is just great to hear that. Then Naomi took the child and laid it on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor, uh, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminabat. And Aminabat begot Nason. And Nason begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Ten generations there. And we can continue on with that uh, to explore that and unpack that as well. But for time's sake, we'll, we'll just say this. That it is because of this what happened here that in the time of August, when he had the census going, and that Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. Do you see how all these things link into each other? God controls history. He plays out history like he wants it to play out. Now, just on a parting note, things to consider, if we take the whole book in consideration. And I like to play around with names and look at the meanings of names and words. If you like, take the, 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 take the names here. Elimelech means God the King. Now, we can, we can see how this whole story plays out just in names. He left God of the king and the house of Israel, a house of bread, which is Jerusalem. He took Naomi, which means pleasant, and they went to Moab because there was drought. You see, he didn't wait on God in the times of drought. He moved. He tried to run like those people that I said they run into the desert, act on themselves. And a lot of people do that. But you know what? God is not turning his back on you. She went in there, the lady pleasant, with a man whose name means God the king. They took with them their son sick and pinning. Pinning means to be pinned down. And this is a military term where I was in the defense form. If you're pinned down, it means that you get crossfire on you and you can't move. You, you just lay down and you wait it out. Here's this lady who's pleasant supposed to think a life was going to play out pleasant. How many of you thought that about your life? You had your plans. You had your direction. And all the things you could see is, is for good. Lord, I want a good life, a pleasant life. And then things don't work the way you thought it was going to work. Sickness come around, and you feel as if you're pinned down in a situation. Is it only me in my life that felt that, or is there people that 
that know what I'm talking about. And she was so pinned down there. And she met this girl, Oprah, who was married to one of the sons, and that name means gazelle. What does a gazelle do? If it's startled, it it flees, it runs away. How many times in your life have you felt in the times when you're in sickness and pinned down that people run away from you? They say good friends are those when problem walks in, they walk in. Bad friends walk out. Listen to me, friend. God will never leave you. You see, we quote that verse so many times, God will never leave nor forsake us, but we need to read the verse in Hebrews because there's a condition to that. You need to be content. Go read the verse. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He won't run. But then in this difficult time, she meets meets friendship, a, a girl called Ruth. She comes out of that back to her land, back to the house of bread. And what happens there? God gave her a son. That son means serving. Friends, I know so many people in my life that went through a difficult time. They come back to the Lord and they are ready to serve. They're ready to serve. Why? Because they went through it. They've got empathy with people. One thing that I picked out of, out of this, she went into a difficult time. It was a backslidden time. But you know what she left behind in Moab? She left behind, these people died. Malone sickness, and she's no longer pinned down. I like to look at that and let the Holy Spirit just lead you through that. Let us serve the Lord. Let's become obits. Serve God first and serve one another, his people. In Jesus' name, what a wonderful book. Now let me ask the question. I start off of saying this man said, Ruth doesn't belong in the Bible. What do you think? I think he needs the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. There's so many things we could have said. There's so many more things that so many more commentators and good preachers could have said. But I believe tonight that what I've said is what you wanted these people to hear. And Father, that's where we'll, we'll have it. And I just pray that you, that you, in the weeks to come, will, as we think about this word, Lord, deal with us through your spirit, Father. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your word. I thank you for everyone, Lord. You are a great God, and we worship and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord.